Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants Huddle Podcast. Today's guests, Sean O'Hara and David Deal, Super Bowl champions. I am John Schmelk. For those of you watching on video, you can find the Giants Huddle Podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, the Giants mobile app, and on Giants.com slash podcast. We thank you guys for joining us, and the draft is coming very, very quickly. It is almost here, and we're joined by Sean O'Hara and David Deal. Guys, how are you guys holding up through this self-isolation quarantine world we're all living in? You can go first, Sean. How about that? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. You know what? It's uh, certainly, certainly different times. Um, you know, thankfully, everybody here in our house is safe. Now we're just trying to keep everybody sane. Um, you know, definitely the wife and, and I are wearing the homeschooling hats, uh, trying to share duties with that and uh, and still make, uh, still make ends meet. Um, but I think the biggest thing with all this has just been, you know, f- finding a way to – get creative with things, do things a little bit differently. And uh, John and Dave, I will say this. It's been kind of nice. We've been kind of creating different routines as a family. We do a family walk every single day, usually around 3 or 4 o'clock, depending on what's going on. And uh, it's actually it's been kind of nice to spend a little extra QT with the fam. No question. I mean, thank God that all of us are healthy here as well. Uh, same thing, doing homeschooling through Skype for Addison. You know, same thing, taking walks, getting outside and, you know, as tough as this has been on everybody, the one great thing is that for you and I, who are always traveling, Sean, we're definitely making up on time with our kids here for sure. Yeah, no doubt. You know, the funny thing I'll, I'll throw out there too. You know, we we had a baby last March, so I feel like we've already been quarantining, being at home. <laughs> you know, you're stuck with the baby, the bottle duty, the naps, the nap schedule wrecks everything. So it's just kind of a continuation for us. And we're all trying to squeeze in the football in between, guys. And who better to talk about uh, one of the best offensive line classes that I've remembered in a very long time. You have four guys that could go in the top 11 or 12. I've seen a couple mock drafts, the reporters mock draft we did on the Giants Huddle podcast. Nine offensive linemen went in the first round. Seven offensive tackles and two centers. So let's start at the top. And, Dave, let's start with you. Who is your okay. favorite of the offensive tackle class in this draft? You, you know what? It, 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 with the circumstances that are taking place, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about and Sean and I have obviously talked about, one of the main questions you get through the first four weeks of the regular NFL season is how come offensive lines aren't coming together as well when it takes time with the way that the CBA works out with the limited time they have on the practice field with young players, with their techniques and fundamentals, it shows up within those first four weeks. So, when it comes now to the top players in the drafts, those are the things that you're leaning on when you are looking at these project, uh, prospects. And for me right now, I think the best NFL-ready prospect is Jedrick Wills out of Alabama. I think his feet, his size, his math, his technique, his fundamentals, the fact that he played in now in today's game, I know a lot of people put the emphasis only on left tackle, but remember, two is left-handed, he was the right tackle, so technically he was the blind side for that team, but... When you look at his feet, when you see that he always has balance, he always keeps his feet separated, he can restart, redirect the rushes on the outside. He is an absolute mauler in the run game. And one of the things that, Sean, I know that you'll talk about as well is his ability to keep his legs driving and moving. You always hear about offensive linemen. Get your feet out of the hole. That's the one thing, whether it's on the first level or the second level, he's constantly driving his legs. Yeah, the all piggyback on that. I've kind of got a 1A and a 1B because to me, it's I don't think it's fair to just lump tackles into one category. Uh, I think that 
I, I lump them into left tackles and right tackles. So I'm going to piggyback on Jedrick Wills from Alabama. Now, I'm not going to hold it against him, the fact that he's a Patriots fan. But I think the fact that he went to Alabama, he's a Patriots fan. I think Joe Judge might be showing him a little bit of uh, a little bit of love here. When I look at these right tackles, to me, uh, his pass set deal, you see it on film. John, you've watched it too. He was the probably the most excited I was at watching in watching film on all these tackles because I watched him and it was wow, that, that, that's special. Yep. You know when you see a guy in a pass set and it's like, man, that guy just looks so smooth, so comfortable. And the kind of w- w- the way I've been referring to him as, he's got sweet feet and he's got nasty hands. And I think that is the great combination you want as a tackle. His feet are like pistons. He's got really good fast twitch, uh, kick slide movements. And he, always, he just looks so natural. Um, Laramie Tunsil looked smooth like that when he was coming out a couple of years ago. Uh, I saw that out of Lane Johnson as well. So he's very athletic. And then his hands are very violent. I yep. love the snap that he has. You know, he's not dependent on just a two punch. And that can get you in trouble a lot, certainly, at the NFL level. He's okay with doing a one-handed. He's got a one-handed flash. He's big on the snatch. Um, he's got a really good inside hand. And, deal, you know that playing tackle. I played it in college. That inside hand is so crucial. So – very impressed with Wills. I think he's probably got one of the nastiest mean streak out of this whole tackle class. Agreed. He's the one guy that he just trying to try to put somebody in the dirt, and you know he's handing out dirt naps left and right. So I like that nastiness, that attitude. Dill, you mentioned the fact that Tua is a left-hander. So look, he's been protecting the blind side. Here's a couple of things that I really love about him. Number one, he's super young. I mean, he can't even buy a beer yet. He's 20 years old, but he's also not chewed up and spit out of Alabama. How many times have you seen guys come out of Alabama that are just beat up because they played so much football? He started at right tackle as a true freshman, all right? But but he's only played two other years after that, so he's not beat up. He's not had been there for five years. He's not mangled. He's really young, still fresh. So I I really like that aspect of him. Um, And then I'll just segue to Andrew Thomas because I put Andrew Thomas at the head of the class from a left tackle standpoint. Andrew Thomas, when I turned on film, I saw glimmers of Jason Peters. Now, maybe it's because they wear the same number, uh, 71, but I saw that kind of athleticism in his pass set. I saw that in his power and his punch. I saw that in the run blocking aspect. I know with left tackles, we always think pass set first, but he was probably one of the most dominant run blockers that I watched on film out of all these tackles. Great movement at the point of attack, great ricochets on combo blocks, up to the second level, time and time again, getting out in space down the field. And then, to me, the really mic drop moment for Andrew Thomas is when they measured his arms at the combine. His arms are longer than Makai Becton. They're longer than every tackle in this draft, except for maybe Matt Parrott, who's like 6'9". He looks like Manu Bowl when he's in his stance. (laughs) So I really love that from Andrew Thomas. He also played right tackle as a true freshman at Georgia. Think about that. All right, coming to Georgia, you're starting as a true freshman at right tackle. Think about the talent that he has gone against for the last three years. All right, they've won a divisional title in the SEC every year. They're in a New Year's Day bowl game every single year. So he's played the top talent across college football. He's no doubt battle tested. And uh, look, there's a little bit to be said for the New York Giants and that Georgia pipeline, right? Joe Judge up in New England. Think about this. David Andrews was a Georgia kid. They drafted Isaiah Wynn out of Georgia a year yep. ago. Sony Michelle out of Georgia. So they've got an affinity for these Georgia kids. Well, I would have just real quick, Sean, Dave, I want you to follow up just to remind yeah. people, Joe Judge coached with Kirby Smart at Alabama. Yeah. So he definitely has that connection down there 
with that Georgia program. Dave, your take on Andrew Thomas. I think Andrew Thomas has all the skills and intangibles needed to be an elite tackle in the NFL. I mean, think about what just Sean said. He went from starting at true freshman at right tackle to replacing Isaiah Wind, who was a first-rounder to the Patriots, and becoming the best offensive lineman in the SEC. And when you talk about his size, his athleticism, that's one thing. If his kick set, he gets to the point of attack. And I know a lot of the negative attention has been put on, well, he tends to overset defensive ends. That's something that's coachable by an offensive line coach. You can coach a tackle with that type of athleticism and that type of range that you can keep a defensive end that far and restricted from you from that one-arm stab where they're trying to convert speed to power and really redirect on the outside. The one question and one concern that I know a lot of coaches have had about him is his lower body strength. Is he going to be able to put more mass and more strength in his lower body to be able to hold up for that conversion of speed to power? And I believe he will. And I think just to piggyback Johnny on, on, on what Dale's talking about. Yeah, go ahead. 21 reps in the, in the bench press, you know, that's what a lot of people will look at and say, man, that's kind of low. I kind of go back to Orlando Brown when he came out of Oklahoma. He took two days to run his 40. He had an awful 225, and everybody said, this guy can't play football. He turned on the film, and he was launching dudes into the stands and finishing guys. So, you know, the 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 bench press, people may say, his upper body needs to develop, which guess what? We all needed it coming out of college, all right? No we question. Beer and pizza. So that's gonna he's going to get stronger. I also think that goes with long arms. When you've got 36-inch arms, guess what? You're moving that bar a heck of a lot more than our boy Chris Snee used to with his little angry alligator <laughs> arms. So I think that's one thing to just kind of point out. And then I, the other thing with Andrew Thomas, you look at him and look at his stats, right? Just one sack last year in, you know, almost 400 passes. But think about who his quarterback was compared to Jedrick Wills, right? Jedrick had Tua who could run around and scream on. Yep. Andrew Thomas had Jake Fromm. Fromm wasn't running away from anybody. So he was a pocket quarterback. So you kind of got to take those into account too when you're looking at these tackles. Yeah, I think you watch Andrew Thomas. He's just so sound in all sets. He's got those long arms. He leans right. You know, sometimes he loses his balance. But, yeah, look, I think you can't go wrong with either of those two guys. And, you know, Dave mentioned lower body strength. Talk about lower body strength. I think you had to talk about Tristan Wirfs, who yeah. multiple sport athlete, a discus thrower, did a lot of that sort of stuff, a wrestler. What do you guys think about him? I watched his early film tape against Michigan. I thought Josh Uche gave him a lot of trouble in that game. Then you watch his final three or four games. I thought he was fantastic. Your guys' thoughts on Wirfs, and do you think he could eventually convert to the left side, which he did some at the end of the last season at Iowa? Dave, go first. All right. I absolutely love Tristan Wirfs. I think he is the best all-around prospect here because what does he bring? Versatility and durability. One, number one, think about the fact that he was the first true freshman starting left tackle under Kirk Ferentz. That says a lot about coming from Iowa and the offensive linemen that they've produced. And you talked about it, John, the background, being a state championship wrestler, being a state championship shot putter. You could see that when he's playing the interior, when he's playing up against bigger bodies in the push-pull game. He always has that balance. He gets his feet underneath him. And one thing that I love to him is, is when bad things happen, what does he revert to? He reverts to his techniques and his fundamentals. And that's something that you can't duplicate. So I love the fact that what he brings, that not only can he play the tackle spots, but you can move him on the interior as well. And, and I know a lot of people are questioning, well, you're going to draft at four, somebody who's possibly a guard. Look at the impact that Quentin Nelson and Brandon Sheriff had on their teams when they were drafted. 
Yeah, I, I love Tristan Wirfs as well. On on film, I, I wrote down, look, he's just really good at everything. And, yeah. you know, since we're talking O-line here, I think it's only appropriate. Let's let's use some food analogies, all right? We're talking offensive tackles. Let's talk ice cream, all right? We just gave you Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills. Those are the novelty ice creams, right? American Dream and, you know, Rocky Road. Tristan Wirfs is vanilla ice cream or he's just pure <laughs> chocolate ice cream. He's one or the other. There's no sprinkles. There's nothing on the side, nothing on top, no toppings. He's just damn good ice cream. Don't mess with it. Just eat it the way that it is. That's what yep. you're getting with Tristan Wirfs. He is steady Eddie. He's really good in the run game. I think he might be a better run blocker than some of these other tackles. So uh, when you look at Wirfs and you mentioned his lower body, John, I'm down on the combine. Um, I'm down on the field at Lucas Oil. And I'm looking at this kid and I'm saying, oh, my goodness, are those his tree trunk legs? I mean, yeah. It's like each leg is 36 inches wide. So I'm saying, man, how's this guy going to move? All of a sudden, boom, 4, 8, 5, 40. Wow, straight line speed. Okay, looks really smooth in the drills. His legs are so big that his spandex was rolling up, up his thighs as he was doing the <laughs> drills. I haven't seen thighs like that since Andrus Pete came out. And, you know, he ended up moving into guard because he was kind of a little heavy-legged struggle with that. Yeah. I didn't see Tristan Worth struggling with that change of direction. So I really love his lower body power. He's going to get stronger in his upper body, just like we talked about with Andrew Thomas. But, Dale, you mentioned Brandon Scherf, and I remember when he came out, we were talking about him. The Giants yep. loved Scherf. They thought they were going to have a chance to get him. Washington took him, so he was off the board. But he was a power lifter, all right? And everything they talked about with Scherf was his hand clean record. Well, Tristan Worst broke his hand clean record at yep. Iowa. So you know he's a workout warrior. He's an instant locker room culture guy. He's going to fit right in. Um, you mentioned, John, that he's a shot put discus champion. He was a heavyweight state championship wrestler, too, so he's got great balance. I think when it comes to Tristan Wirfs, that's his ability, and I think he's going to excel and he's going to be a good tackle for whatever team drafts him. But here's where, to me, Tristan Wirfs, it's not about where he goes in the draft. It's where he goes as a system. Don't yeah. draft Tristan Wirfs if you're going to throw the ball 45 times. That's not his expertise. Nope. That's not what you want. It's like when the Giants drafted Will Hernandez two years ago. Look, he, he wasn't throwing the ball 47 times down to UTEP. He's a mauler. He's a run blocker. Let him run the football. If you're going to draft Tristan Wirfs, you better be a run-first offense because that's what he does best. And going back to his legs, Sean, that's one thing that I was talking about when we're talking about left tackle, right tackle. Any defense you go up against now, they have premier defensive ends on both sides, whether you are on the left or the right. And the thing that you realize with Tristan Wirfs is, is that when it comes to defensive ends and when it comes to their scheme and pass rush, you're going to have one that's going to attack the quarterback and the other one's just going to want to press the pocket and try to condense it as much as he can into the lap and into the side of the quarterback to step up. When you talk about Tristan Wirfs' lower body, his ability to dip, regain leverage, and work his hands back inside – that's something that's clinic tape when you watch him in college. Yeah, guys. So when you look at both Worfs and Wills, and Dave, you mentioned it. You know, Sean said he separates them right and left. So I want to get both your guys' opinions on this. Do you think both Worfs and Wills can eventually transition to left tackle if or when Nate Solder eventually is no longer on the Giants? Or are you just fine? Look, guys, be the right tackle for 15 years. It's just as an important a position as left tackle is now. Sean, what do you think? 
You know, I kind of go back to to our former teammate. We used to refer to him as Big Bear, Kareem McKenzie. And you know what? Uh, he had no aspirations of playing on the left side. He's like, look, I like being at right tackle. And I think that one of the reasons why we were so successful as a unit was because he was so good in the run game. When we ran to the right and we pulled left, I mean, look, the double team of him and Snee, you, you couldn't you couldn't stop it. And that was our signature play for a long time until Gilbride decided to throw the ball. So I think when you look at Tristan Wurfs, can he play left tackle? Yeah, I think he can play left tackle, and I think you can win games with him at left tackle. Do I think he's a Pro Bowl left tackle? No, I think he has a chance to be a Pro Bowl right tackle. I think the athleticism and the one thing that he struggled with on film was getting beat to the inside. And yep. as athletic as he showed at the combine, that surprised me that he struggled that much on film with that inside move. And he would get beat a little bit. Some of that can be technique, but I felt like his footwork was really good in the run game. It was really good in his kick slide, but he just he didn't have that same power step when the defender moved inside. So if you're struggling with that at right tackle, going to the left side in the NFL, it's even tougher. So, uh, you know, I, I think he could he could do that. But I think his best fit is at right tackle. I'll say the same thing about Jedrick Wills. Now, I'll say this. I think of the two, Jedrick Wills has a better chance of moving to the left side because I think he's more athletic. When I look at these two, if you were to give me an NFL comparison right now, I would say they are Taylor Lewan and Jack Conklin. All right, They both have totally different pass sets. Taylor Lewan, really good with his hands, really good, always bounce. Jack Conklin, it just looks a little bit different, but he gets the job done. I think those two guys are kind of how I would look at them in terms of different pass sets. Dave? And I'll, I'll piggyback on that as a fifth-round draft pick who ended up starting and winning two Super Bowls at left tackle. It was a huge key to my start to the NFL of being on the right side before converting over to the left side. So that's a great point that you make, Sean, because of the speed and because of the type of athlete that when you're moving from the right to the left is that much different. It is a much different adjustment for you when you're setting up your technique and the amount of fight and this type of uh, interject at the point of where you want to go with the defensive end at the left side is completely different compared to where Kareem was on the right side. But I, I agree with your assessment wholeheartedly. I think right now Dredrick Wills would be the best to convert to the left side because of his feet, because of his athleticism, and because of the fact that you never see him with a narrow base and he always works from the inside out. In regards to Tristan Wirfs, like I said, one of the great things I had was versatility. The fact that he can go to the right side and play for the next 10 years and be an all-pro for me. But if there is an injury, he can slide over and get it done. That's where that extra value comes up, especially when we're talking about in the NFL. When you're in weeks 10, 11, and 12, and you can't suit up your entire offensive line, you better have a swing tackle that can be the jack-of-all-trades. Yeah, John, I'll just uh, kind of speak up here for Deal because he's going to be modest about this and he's not going to toot his own horn. But Deal had to jump on the team grenade numerous times. And, yeah. look, it's easy for people to say, oh, yeah, hey, move from right tackle to left tackle. It's like someone saying, oh, yeah, you get a minor hamstring or a minor MCL. It's only minor <laughs> when it's not your MCL that just got torn. So for, for Deal, look, I, I, I had to move around a little bit, but nobody had to move around more than Deal did, whether it was right tackle, right guard, moving over left guard, then to left tackle. It's different. And here's where I think guys struggle. When you're used to playing one side of the line, right tackle, for instance, you're used to your right foot being back, and that's being your anchor foot and your brace foot. Well, you're also used to having your left, your left hand as your inside power hand. When you go to the other side, it takes a while to kind of – 
teach your brain to tell your body to switch it around. So a lot of times when you see guys move, guys move from one side to the other, they lose their stagger and it takes a while to get used to, all right, which is my brace leg and which is my power leg? Which one do I keep up and, and switch the hands? So the analogy I always use is next time you go to the bathroom, wipe with the other hand. The reality, the, 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 the point of that story is you get the job done, but things get a little messy. <laughs> and to piggyback on that again, think about what you're talking about. You said it earlier on, your inside hand, how important that is in your pass sets. Now think if you're a right dominant player moving to the left side, you're going to punch. And a lot of times you'll see tackles moving over. They cross their body and they open up their inside to a defensive end move. So that's something that you see early on that you can't be as aggressive as you want to be the way that you are on the right side. All right, guys, let's go to the one tackle we haven't mentioned yet. That's Makai Becton. A lot of people out there think he's the ultimately the guy with the biggest upside because of his just sheer physical size and his freakish athleticism for his side. He was a left tackle of Louisville, did not run a traditional offense, not a lot of true pass sets. When you guys watched the tape of Makai Becton, what got you excited and what got you a little bit worried? Dave, let's start with you. You know, obviously what gets you excited is if you get this guy in the phone booth, you can't see the three technique or the linebacker and he is able to just move people at the point of attack against their own will from point A to point B. One of the things that does step up to you when you watch him because he is raw when it comes to his techniques and fundamentals, when we sit there and talk about Thomas, Wills, and Worf, the thing that you like about him is that you don't see him get beat by the same thing again over and over. He makes the corrections needed. I think the thing that's just going to take time with him are learning those techniques and fundamentals, being able to get there out in space, and the leverage aspect, one thing that you see is when he gets later in games and he gets tired because he's so tall, he becomes a little bit of a waistbender. His shoulders and his head get ahead of him, which allows the defensive end to pull you through or you get out of balance and you end up on, your, on the ground too much. Those are all things that coaching are going to help with him. But the one thing you can't coach is size, and he has that because if you get him in a phone booth, just like Sean talked about Orlando Brown years ago, you are not getting out of his hands. Yeah, size, when it comes to tackles, obviously that's what everybody drools over. Man, when you get a tackle with this kind of size at, what is he, 6'7", 370 pounds, uh, you know, that's hard to come by. You know, it's kind of like when you get a receiver that's running 4'2 or 4'3, you know, speed kills on the outside. Well, size on the inside is what you want. And how fitting that Makai, when you look up his name, all right, he's got some, that, that name Makai translates to who is godlike. All right, that's how big this guy is. It's, it's got a biblical translation <laughs> there, but – He's probably one of the most intriguing guys to watch on film because there are moments, and he was probably the one player that I said, ooh, oh my gosh, more times watching his film than any other tackle because he had plays where he took a guy from the hash mark and threw him into the water cooler. I mean, he was taking defensive ends and returning to sender. So I call him a detour blocker because he's not just moving guys. He's making you go the opposite way. Um, he has that ability. Now, the power – Everybody says, okay, man, when you're that big, of course you have the power. Well, then he goes out at the combine and runs, runs a very impressive 40. Everybody's oohing and on and they love it. Now, I was disappointed because he hurt himself at the 40 because I really wanted to see him do the drills. To me, that would have been more important. So the fact that he didn't get to do the drills at the combine, he didn't get to have his pro day with the climate and what's going on around the, the, around the, the country. So I think that you know, that's a negative and that's tough for teams. You know, they're going to get to see video and talk to people, but not getting to see him do that work, I think could hurt him in this draft. I love when he gets his hands on people. I think his pass set for how big he is, he's very agile. He's very, he's very athletic. 
Um, I do have a couple of, of issues with him. I feel like he gets a little lazy with his hands. He turns into Yogi Bear. All right. Yeah. Giants fans have heard Dave and I reference that for many years. All right. Eric Flowers, where they drafted ninth overall, could never fix that. And that's why he ended up moving into to guard. All right. That is a coach killer technique right there. If you can't get your hands inside and you can't find a way to fix that, it will never last. You will always struggle. And at the NFL, you will get exposed. So he needs to fix that. I think he can because I think he's still a young player. I think he's very raw. Um, I think, to me, it's really about where he goes, just like I was saying with Tristan Wurst, what system does he go to? For Makai Becton, it's where is he going from a system standpoint and who is his O-line coach? Because where he goes and who is coaching him and helping him out is going to determine how his how high his trajectory is as a as a um, as far as his career is concerned. The the one other aspect that I will say that was a little bit alarming that I wrote down, something to watch a little bit more of, is I felt like he crossed over way too much in the run game. His yeah. second step it looked like a karaoke. Now a lot of it was outside zones and the offense that they ran in Louisville. A lot of that was they're trying to get to the perimeter. They wanted to do these jet sweeps and get their quarterback on the outside. Um, so maybe that's the way he was coached, but you cannot cross over like that. Certainly not a tackle. And I know, Deal, you went through this yeah. a lot. When you're doing zone blocking and that defensive end is on the move, which the NFL guys do a lot because they know it's hard to do blocking guys on the move, That that's tough. And he got away with it in college because some of their schemes were, hey, Makai, you just run your course. If he veers, we'll clean it up. We've got a fullback coming behind you, or we'll have some other guy come in here and clean that up. You just keep that train moving downfield. So that's something that really kind of alarmed me was that second step. It just got a little – it crossed over way too much, and I think he lost a little bit in that. And, and I think that actually showed up more on the runs of, of when he was away from the zone trying to cut off a backside three technique. You and I both know if you don't gain ground and if you don't take a good first foot, that three technique has the ability to penetrate and split you and the guard. He got away with it at Louisville. You are not getting away with it with the three techniques in the, D in the NFL. All right, so guys, if you take into consideration all those guys' skills you just talked about, plus the Giants needs it number four, you gave your analysis. Just give me your rankings one through four for those four guys we just talked about, Sean. I'm going to put Andrew Thomas at, at number one just because I feel like you know the, the ability to play left tackle, he's shown it, he's done it, and he's done it at a very high level, puts him ahead of the class. Uh, I think Jedrick Wills is right there behind him. Um, I'll put Tristan Wirfs at third, and then I'll put Makai Becton at fourth. Um, you know, for for the Giants, if we're just going to focus on what they have in, in front of them, you mentioned Nate Solder. I still think Nate Solder has some good football left, and I'm not talking about just one year. I, agree. I know people want to look Definitely. at his cap number and you know what he's going to cost. Look, I don't care. You signed a deal two years ago, three years ago. Guess what? If he could play another two or three years and you could keep a guy at right tackle and let Nate Solder, he's, I think some of his best football is still in him. So you have that luxury. But if not, if I'm wrong, Andrew Thomas is your best chance to, to replace Nate Solder at left tackle. But if you believe Nate Solder still has time left, then you take Wills and now you've got your pillars on the outside for the next two to three years at least with Nate Solder. And then you can figure out the left tackle position three years down the road. Dave? And piggyback on that, I would definitely say number one for me is Jedrick Wills. I just think now with the not allowed time that you're going to have during this offseason in regards to techniques and fundamentals and plug and play and ability to adapt immediately, I'd give it to Wills. Secondly, then I'd go with Andrew Thomas. I think if you're looking at the Giants and if you are looking to move Nate Solder over to the right side, 
Andrew Thomas gives you that best ability to do that. I put Tristan Wirfs as three, even though I think he is the best overall athlete in regards to the needs. They don't need as much as a versatile guy to plug in and play on the interior, considering the fact that they've got Gates as the interior guy to swing with depths as well. So I would put him at three. Number four after that, then I would go with Becton. I think that he's a, a work in progress, and I think right now in regards to the New York Giants, those other three prospects would be better. All right, guys, now let's jump to that next group. If the Giants go with a different type of player, maybe a defensive player at fourth overall, and we'll talk about that at the end before we say goodbye, of that next group of guys, which one is your favorite? Dave, let's start with you. Well, outside of those two guys or those four guys we mentioned, next I would go Josh Jones. I think that he still has a lot of work to get done. Obviously, one of the reasons why is he's had five offensive line coaches in his time at University of Houston. So that says a lot. I think that he needs refinement. In regards to his pass pros and his run game, that's where he needs to add that mass. But if you're looking for somebody to plug and play and to over time take over at the left tackle position, I think he's that player. Behind him, I have Austin Jackson. I think he's very athletic. You see him get out in space. They pulled him into the open area. He can work up to the second level. But I think that his techniques and fundamentals definitely need refinement. And over the next possibly two years, he can be turned into one of those all-pro players. How about you, Sean? I like both those guys. I think Josh Jones, he so smooth. You know, I mean, yep. he was a four-year starter at Houston. Um, you watch him on film, you say, man, this kid can play. And he probably didn't get as much recognition because he was down at Houston. If he had played at one of these other power schools, he would have gotten all the accolades that these other guys had. So really capable. I think he could be a starter, no doubt, at left tackle or right tackle if you wanted to move him over, even though we just talked about how that's not easy. Um, so I like Josh Jones. Um, I'll throw in a couple other there. there. I, you know, Austin Jackson from USC, it's a great story. Uh, obviously a, a great kid. But two other guys, or actually another guy that really is kind of under the radar a little bit, he's gained some traction, is Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. I really like this kid. I, I think, you know, if the Giants, as you said, if they're looking for tackle – in the second round, all right, early second round. If Ezra Cleveland's there and they didn't get somebody in the first round, I could see them taking a guy like him. He's somebody that I think would benefit from certainly another year, getting a little bit stronger, but he's a really tough kid. I know his old line coach at Boise State, Brad Bedell. He was a teammate of mine with the Cleveland Browns, so I know that he's been taught some really good techniques, some really good fundamentals. He played with a really bad toe injury last year. He got turf toe yep. early on. Um, but, you know, they played Florida State week one, and I thought he held his own. I thought he did a really good job. Uh, he's got really good sense. You know, some guys, you watch on film, you're like, man, they've just got a really good feel. He could feel the twists. He saw the stunts. He never seemed like, you know, he didn't know what was going on or he was lost. Um, you know, he played next to um, a guy with a great mustache. I think his name is um, Munston. I can't remember his name right now, but they were a really good duo working together. Um, and I, so I like Ezra. I think he's really – he's got good footwork. He's got good lower body power. Um, you know, he's kind of an under-the-radar guy, but um, I, I like Josh Jones as well. Robert Hunt from Louisiana, the raging Cajun. Yeah. He's kind of guy – he's a tweener right now. People are kind of grading him as a guard. Uh, they say maybe he could play tackle. He could be a really good pickup for somebody later on in the draft and say, look, he could do, he could be your sixth man. He could be your swing tackle. He could also jump in uh, at guard as well. So, uh, Johnny, I, I'm not sure if you were asking just for tackle stuff or if you wanted to go guards and centers too. <laughs> no, no problem at all. And, Dave, I want to touch on one more tackle before we get to the centers. What do okay. you guys think of Isaiah Wilson? He's somebody that's getting a lot of late first round buzz. 
played on the opposite side of Andrew Thomas. Obviously, monster of a guy. Six, he's almost Mekhi Becton size. Now, the problem is doesn't move as well. So what are your guys' thoughts on Isaiah Wilson? And, and would you be all right if, you're, if you see a general manager move up into that back end of the first round and pick him, Sean? I like Isaiah Wilson. You know, you mentioned it. He kind of flew under the shadows of Andrew Thomas. But when you turn on the film, he just swallows people up. I mean, he is so massive and so big that I think his arms are probably second only to Andrew Thomas. So he's got really long arms. He's a tough kid. He's from Brooklyn. I think he went to Poly Prep on Long Island. Yeah, right, baby. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this kid, I, you know, when I look at him, I'm like, this is this Booker T? I mean, the guy, the guy looks like he's ready to throw people off the top ropes. You know, I could have sworn I saw him outside a bungalow not letting me and deal in one night. Um, he's just – he's a massive human being. He's the kind of guy that you love to have as an offensive lineman. I think he's tough. He's a finisher. Um, look, did he get in trouble sometimes on space? Yeah, but yeah. Um, I felt like he always found a way to get the job done. You know, the one thing that just kind of shows up is is when it comes to handling power and bull rushes, for as big and strong as he was, there were times where I thought he got he gave up too much ground. And I think it's just yeah. because he's a little bit upright. So those are things that I think he will polish and he'll get better at at the next level. And, and to go along with that, one of the reasons why I think that he exposed his chest too much is you saw his hands at his hips too much. You know the old saying, you can't be a gunslinger. you got to be a boxer out there at tackle. You've always got to get your hands up. And sometimes when you'd see that big size and frame shoot from the hip and a smaller defensive end get the inside hand leverage, he'd give up way more ground than he needed to. Also, one thing with his kick slide, tying his hands and his feet together. Like I said, sometimes they were low. Sometimes he just didn't punch and shoot those hands aggressively to restart and redirect the defensive end. So, therefore, his hands and his feet were tied together and caught himself in a lot of problems on the edges. Dave, any other tackles stick out to you maybe late in this draft that you spotlight that you think maybe should be getting more play than they are? You know what? I think that what uh, Sean just brought up, Hurst is a good example of a guy who's kind of a tweener, but that's the big thing. I I think after Wilson and Ezra Cleveland, there's a big drop-off when you're talking about the offensive tackles in this class. Sean, let's go to the centers, big man. Um, Who's your top center in the class and why? Um, all right. Well, the center <laughs> class. Uh, so let, let, just in general terms, I, I think this is a very interesting draft for both guards and centers because I don't think there are any guards out there that are really wowing anybody. You know, we could go through the whole second round and not one guard is, is taken. I, I could see that happening. You know, Natani Muti from Fresno State Fresno, is yep. probably one of the most powerful guards coming out. He reminds me of Will Hernandez when you watch film on him. The problem is you got to go back three years to find a whole season's worth of film. He's only played five games in the last two years. He broke his foot, he tore his Achilles. So the medical, this is a tough year for him coming out because you can't get in front of these teams. You can't show them that you're healthy and show them what you could do. But he's got some big-time power in him. Um, I, I really think that teams really like him a lot. Uh, I like the kid from Michigan, Bredesen. Um, you know, he's he's been a stud his, his entire career. He's a tough kid. You know, he doesn't do anything flashy. Nothing, you know, he's not going to wow you, but he's just a good, solid player. So I could see him going. John Runyon Jr., who played left tackle alongside Bredesen. John is John Sr.'s son. Yeah. Look, he's been a starting left tackle at Michigan for a long time. So he's played against some really good players. I could easily see him getting drafted and somebody putting him in at guard. Um, so – those are two guys that jump out at guard. I think Jonah Jackson from Ohio State is a really quality guard. Yeah. You know, is he a second rounder? I don't know. Maybe he's a third round guy, but he's a Rutgers kid that transferred to Ohio State. You don't see that very often. 
but just a really steady guy, really smart, really tough, um, rarely gets beat. He's probably one of the most consistent pass uh, protectors out of all these guards. So that's the guard position. The center position, really, this is really kind of a, you know, choose your own adventure here. Um, I know a lot of people have Sousa Ruiz from Michigan as their number one guy. Some people have Lloyd Cushenberry. Um, I like Ruiz more than Cushenberry. I think Ruiz is more athletic. Uh, even though Cushenberry is heavier, I think Ruiz, he, he does a better job at the point of attack, gets more movement. Cushenberry didn't get much movement. We had a head up nose. There was no movement at, at all a lot of times, which surprised me. Um, Ruiz pulled a lot which you don't see a lot of centers getting out on outside zones. And, you know, they, they, they usually try to skinny up to the mic and, and not have to run the long way. But he loved get out, getting out in front, getting in space. So I think Cesar Ruiz is a very solid center. You, you, if you draft him, I think he could very well be your week one starter. I don't think he's a big-time mauler. He's not as strong as McCoy, uh, who came out a couple of years ago and is down in New Orleans. Uh, but he's a very good, solid pickup. If the Giants drafted him in the second round, here's the perfect draft for the Giants, right? Take a tackle in the first round, take a center in the second round. He'd be all set, all right? Gettleman gets his hog mollies. But there's two other centers that I'm going to throw in there. And the first one is Matt Hennessy from Temple. This kid is Temple tough. Now, Matt Rule um, was in Temple and he recruited him. He found him late in the summer, uh, brought him there. And Hennessy was kind of a late bloomer. He's a little bit taller than both Ruiz and Cushenberry. He's much taller than Nick Harris, who I'll get to in a second. But Hennessy, just like the drink, man, it's so smooth. You know, it starts out like, hey, you know, do I really want this? Yeah, this guy just grows on you. The more film you watch, the more you say, wow, look at that block. He did a great <coughs> job with that. All right. He's so technique sound, so fundamentally sound that I think that he's going to surprise a lot of people with how high he goes because they haven't really talked a lot about him. So I think the fact that he went to Temple, that's probably why. But he's done nothing but impress scouts, impress teams since his career ended at Temple. I think he's a guy that can come in mentally. He's a smart kid. He's a Jersey kid. He went to Bosco right up here in Ramsey. So you know he's a tough kid. Uh, how great would it be for him to complete the trifecta, basically? All right, Bosco, Temple, and then play for the Giants, be right here in the Tri-State area for all three uh, levels of football. That would be great for him. And then the last guy I'll talk about is Nick Harris. Now, Nick Harris, to me, is the most athletic of all these centers. I think he's probably the, the best at getting up to the second level. Um, he's got great great feet, really good acceleration. His footwork in the run game, it's its really, I think it's better than all, all the other centers in the draft. He does a great job, whether it's a head-up nose, whether it's a shaded nose, getting great leg drive, getting good movement, despite the fact that he's not as big as some of these other guys. He reminds me of a guy I played with in Cleveland, Jeff Fain. He's got that same kind of body type, that same kind of leg drive, that same kind of power. Now, when I saw him at the combine, I thought, man, he's a lot smaller in the upper body than I thought. But don't let that fool you. He's really good with his hands. He's got really good aggressive punch. Uh, he does a great job in ricochets and combo blocks. So I think Nick Harris is, is a really solid pick. He may not go until the second or third round, but don't worry. He's going to be an impact player for somebody. Dave? Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, I could follow up on all those players, but there's just one more I want to mention. I want to mention John Simpson out of Clemson, the guard. I think that he's somebody that not a lot of people are talking about. You know, there were some, you know, uh, reactions coming away from the senior bowl. Well, he didn't play as well. Well, he rolled his ankle and had a foot injury and played through it at the, at the senior bowl, which affected the way that he played up against the top guys. But going up against his, uh, his film, going back to watching him in Clemson, 
He was an absolute road grader. They could pull him. He was good in the second level in an open space. Some of the things that he needs to work on is his ability to reset, get quicker out of his set in the passing game, and not have himself set up for where he could beat by counter moves or a secondary move by a defensive tackle. But he's one of the players that I think that is an exciting future ahead of him in the NFL. All right, and obviously those guys could be options, especially if the Giants do not go with an offensive lineman at four. So let's talk about Isaiah Simmons for a second because I think that really is kind of the big debate the two factions of Giant fans are having. Do you go offensive line or do you go Isaiah Simmons, a very unique player? And, Dave, let's start with you. If they do draft Isaiah Simmons, what's the best way to use him early and then long-term for him to reach that great potential that his total package, versatility, and athleticism brings to the game. Well, obviously, when we heard Joe Judge in his introductory press conference say the first thing that he wants the defense to be able to be is versatile, to be able to play a 4-3, a 3-4, and he brings that systematically. And the fact that you have a weapon that you can not only play at safety, that you can have an added weapon in the run game, you could have him down in the boxes, that added player. You could put him in the blitz packages. You can line him outside, and he can help out versus slot receivers. There are so many different things that you can do with him to maximize him as his abilities, and I think that's one of the things that you saw happen with him at Clemson. But for me, with the Giants sitting at four, uh, and this isn't just coming from an offensive lineman, I think in the best interest of the Giants organization would to be a draft an offensive lineman at four. When we're sitting here and we're looking that there are more holes than just a linebacker slash edge rusher on the defensive side of the ball, I feel if you solidify this offensive line with Saquon Barkley, with Daniel Jones coming into his second year and all the weapons on the outside, that's what's going to give you the best chance to succeed and get in that battle for the NFC East, which is the only thing that guarantees you your ride into the playoffs. So I think that's their best way by putting those up on the offensive side of the board so that you're putting up more than 27 points a game and allowing a defense that doesn't have all the tools there to play ahead, which is a competitive advantage for a defensive coordinator. Sean? I think Isaiah Simmons would be a great pick. Um, you know, I agree with Deal with, with all those assessments. You know, I think, um, you know, look, Dave Gettleman, he surprised everybody last year. You know, everybody thought with Josh Allen sitting there at six overall, there was a slam dunk. And then, you know, he goes, uh, you know, he, he goes off the top ropes and takes Daniel Jones. This Isaiah Simmons pick would basically, I mean, it, this would blend perfectly with what we're hearing Joe Judge say all the time. If you were to play a drinking game every time Joe Judge gave an interview and took a sip every time he said versatility, all right, you would you would be hammered two minutes into it because that's <laughs> what they're looking for. So Isaiah Simmons, he can do it all. He lined up at safety. He lined up outside a corner. He lined up at nickel. Lined up at linebacker. He even rushed the passer. He had eight yep. sacks last year. Led the team in pass breakups with ten. So he's, he's all over the field. The question, John, of what you're asking is, where does he fit? How does he fit into this defense? And I think with Jabril Peppers already on this roster and already at that safety position, I don't think you put him at safety. If you take Isaiah Simmons – you're going to play him at linebacker. Now, they signed Blake Martinez at free agency, so he's the Mike. But maybe Isaiah Simmons ends up playing a little Will, maybe a little Sam. Maybe bring him in on third down. Maybe you kind of slow him down a little bit as a rookie and let him play situationally. But this kid's 6'3". So do I think he's going to be sitting back there in cover two? No. I The last time I saw a safety that big was Steve Atwater, and he was coming downhill. Totally different time, totally different offenses back then as well. So I think he has a little Jamal Adams in him. You know, maybe even the, the Derwin James from the Chargers. 
Um, but I think his best football is from the linebacker level. You could, whether he's off the ball or whether you put him on the ball, let him play Sam linebacker. Um, I think that's probably where he's going to end up being the best fit. He's going to get bigger. He's going to put on a little bit of weight. I mean, he's 238 right now. It's remarkable that somebody at 6'3", 238, ran a 4.3840. But that's the kind of speed that you're getting from this guy. Who knows? He could end up being like that number 56 that the Giants fans still love to this day coming off the edge. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a sight for Giants sore eyes? Well, sure. I think that's a question I want to follow up with Dave with then because I had this um, debate with Paul Dettino on Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is our, our daily podcast on Giants.com. He thinks he can develop into an elite pass rusher. And usually someone that, as Sean mentioned, played at 230 or so, 6'3", he was an effective blitzer, but does that effective goes away if you use him as more of a traditional edge and you don't know where he's coming from? So do you see him as more of a pass rusher long-term, or is he going to be one of those tight end eliminators in coverage that really sinks up your coverage in the middle of the field? Uh, I would see him more as an outside linebacker in a 3-4, one that's going to cover the tight end because if I'm sitting there and I'm going up against a defensive end that's 235 pounds, I'm yelling at my offensive coordinator, run the football right behind me each and every play because that's when you start wearing down those smaller guys in the third and fourth quarter and those runs start popping from two yards to six to ten to home run hitters. So I think what he brings is versatility where you can use them on both sides, where you can have them in those exotic looks on third down where you have guys, what we used to call radar, standing up and walking around to create those one-on-ones that are more efficient and more produce or more productive for your defense. So he's not a guy that I've seen that you're going to line up in defensive end and play there the entire time. He's a guy that you want to create mismatches that are more beneficial for him, but to create one-on-ones for the rest of the guys on your defensive line as well. Yeah, John, I'll piggyback on that too. I think if you're going to bring Isaiah Simmons in and you're going to draft him fourth overall, do not ask him to put his hand in the dirt right now. He's not ready for that. All right. He's going to be posterized week in and week out. I think down the road, if you want to get him into that sub nickel package and, you know, as part of the NASCAR package, he could probably find a role in that. But when you look at the speed, yeah, I, I feel like you would be wasting that speed and that range that he has by having him play on the ball right now. Maybe he morphs into that. But the other factor with that too is I think you've got to look at, all right, where is he? Where does he get drafted? And how does he learn that pass rushing stuff? All right. I think back to the Giants. We had OC Umanura. We had Strahan. We drafted Justin Tuck in the third round. Everybody said, really? Another pass rusher? Well, here's what that did. All right. Tuck got to come in and learn from those guys. All right. He got to kind of watch how they worked, watch how they practiced. All right. OC, how, how do I get my get off like that? How do I work the hands like Mike does? All right. Justin absorbed all of that, and that was crucial for him, all right? And then he ended up becoming the guy, and and I think Justin would say that helped him. Without those mentors, without that growth period, he would have never become the player that he became. The problem with Isaiah Simmons right now is who's that guy? Who's teaching him that? If you're the Giants and you draft him, you don't have a pass rush guy with that kind of pedigree that's going to teach him, hey, here are the tricks of the trade right now because – Really, when it's the Giants, they're looking, they're grasping at pass rushes right now. They're trying to find anybody they can to help get pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, the way I see it, guys, look, Jason Witten was in this division for a really long time. Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard still are, last I checked. And Simmons is the perfect guy to try to kind of take those guys out of the game as a defender in the middle of the field, something the Giants defense has had trouble with for a real long time. And that could be a nice specified role for him in his first year. All right, guys, this might be a chance for you guys to get your last word in before the draft on Thursday night. Uh, so, Dave, let's start with you. What's your last word before the Giants 
uh, to start to fill out their 2020 draft class on Thursday. I mean, obviously, this is a very exciting time, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Detroit Lions at number three because that can completely change the entire dynamic of this draft. But, you know, I, I know that you continue to hear who's the best player available at that number four pick. For me, I, I just think with the background, where this Giants organization and team is at now, I think Jedrick Wills is the pick of four. Sean? You know, John, Dave, we have sat here for years talking about how the offensive line play has held this franchise back. You have a chance right now with the fourth pick overall. You've already got your franchise quarterback. You've already got your generational player at Saquon Barkley. Find a way to make this offensive line a strength in your team. And it's right here in front of you. So nobody is going to scoff or nobody is going to say uh, that the Giants got it wrong if they take one of these tackles. I think it's right there. It's a perfect timing. It's a perfect position to take a tackle. And it's not a forced pick. We've heard Dave Gettleman say you can't force the pick. This is not a forced pick taking a tackle fourth overall. I look back, John, you mentioned uh, drafts with tackles. The last time I saw a tackle class like this was 2013. And it was Luke Jokel, Eric Fisher, and Lane Johnson. And guess what? Lane Johnson went top five. Nobody has any beef with the fact that Lane Johnson is playing right tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. But if you want to win this division, look around at who's won this division the last couple of years. Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles. What do they have in common? They have Pro Bowl tackles. You cannot win this division with inferior tackles. All right? Jason Peters, Lane Johnson, down in Philly. Guess what? They moved into the first round last year to get Diller. All right? They added a third left tackle. Look at the Dallas Cowboys. Tyron Smith, all right, Lyle Collins. They drafted Connor Williams, who was a left tackle attendant at Texas, moved him into guard. So that's, to me, when you look at the division, how do you win and get to the playoffs? You've got to find a way to win your division. This is the first move in doing that. And, guys, remember, tackles don't come around very often. We've sat here, talked about these offensive tackles classes since really 2013, 2014. And a lot of times there's just no one there for the Giants to even pick whenever they're selecting. And in for agency, they usually don't become available either because these guys get locked up long term. So striking while the iron is hot, certainly probably not bad of an idea. We appreciate the time, guys. Awesome time. Enjoy the draft on Thursday. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Johnny. David Deal. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Giants Huddle Podcast. We will see you next time, everybody. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a positive review. You can also find the podcast on the Giants mobile app and on Giants.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time. Stay safe and enjoy the draft.